And welcome yet to another amazing, timely Tuesday Torah Talk. We have with us tonight a very special dear friend and guest, Mr. Harry Rottenberg, a renowned speaker, a renowned lawyer. Oh, that reminds me of how I met you. That's funny. <laughs> I actually met Harry because uh, I needed his services. And ever since Chazak and Harry Rottenberg have been synopsis with so many events and chairman lectures. And uh, welcome, Harry, to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Always a pleasure to see you, and I hope you're doing well, too. Uh, we are doing great, and we're really excited about tonight's uh, program. The road to heaven is paved with good intentions. That's the topic for tonight, so let's jump straight into it. Okay, so usually the focus of Shavuot, which is uh, right around the corner, is about staying up all night and learning. Sometimes we might overlook you know, looking into the psukim, into the verses and meaning of Migilat Rut. Can you please give us a small glimpse into Migilat Rut, Harry? Yeah, so so to do that, I want to point out that we know that we learn a lot of the laws, a lot of the halachas about conversion, about Geras from Rus. She's like the iconic convert. And it, there's a very interesting gematria. If you match up the, the letters with their corresponding numbers, Rus's name in Gematria, the numerical value is 606, which makes sense because beforehand when she wasn't Jewish, she had the Sheva Mitzvah Spinei Noah, the seven mitzvot that apply to non-Jews that they have to obey. She added on 606 Rus to get the 613. So that's her name. Mm-hmm. Now you'll say, oh, that's very interesting. One second. What about Yisro, Moshe's father-in-law? Didn't he convert beforehand? And if you look at his name, he's also got the Resh, the Vav, and the Tav. He's also got Rus in his name. But he's an extra Yud. He is an extra Yud because he was there at the mountain, at Harsina, when we got the Ten Commandments. That doesn't count. If you're there, when Hashem's up on the mountain, give me the Ten Commandments, buddy, of course you're going to convert. So we don't, he's not the person from whom we learn lessons. She is, okay? So here's the key question, if I say to you, and we know there's this, this incredible scene where Rus and her sister Orpah, they, and their sisters-in-law, they, they, they were married to two Jewish men who had moved to Moab with their parents, with the, Naomi and with Elimelech, and Naomi has lost her husband. She's heading back now to Israel, and she's telling Rus and Orpah, go back to your gods. And Orpah kisses her goodbye and leaves, and Rus comes with. And we learn from that. Like when somebody says they want to convert, you have to push them away, teach them some laws. Then when you see they're sincere, then you grab them. So if I said to you the simplest question, when did Rus convert? When did she become a Jew? You'll say to me, right? When are you going to say to me? That's it. This is it. Right then and there, Naomi's teaching her laws and she's saying, wherever you'll be buried, I'll be buried and I'm going to go with you and your God is my God. Perfect. There's only one problem. If this is the time when Rus is becoming a Jew, she's converting right now, which means she did not convert before she married her husband. We've got a little bit of a problem because if you look at the story later on, what happens is that Boaz marries Rus, And that's a big marriage because from that, Soon after, a few generations later, none other than David Amalek, King David, is born. So that's a very big deal. But before Boaz can marry her, he has to go to another person, Ploni Almoni. We don't even get his name. He's like uh, John Doe because he, 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 he didn't make the decision to, to, to marry Rus. And he has to ask him permission because he's a closer relative. It's based on Yibam. If a man dies, he doesn't have children. We go to his brother. So this is, there's some kind of connection that Rus has to the closer relative. One second. If Rus wasn't Jewish and she married a Jewish man, we don't look for the relative. Jewish man marries a non-Jewish woman and dies. We don't say to his, his brother or his relative, oh, you have to marry her now. She's not Jewish. 
If she converted later, what's going on? We can't understand the whole rest of the of Megillus Rus. So you'll say, okay, obviously there's only one choice. She must have converted before she married her husband. Great. If she married before she can, if she converted before she married her husband, how is Naomi telling her, go back to your gods? Can you imagine a woman converts? She's sincere. She converts. She becomes a yid. Her Jewish husband dies. We say to her, hey, you know what? Your husband died. Go back to your gods. Well, what's going on? What is Naomi doing? How can she be telling them? And Orpah goes back. So we're stuck. If she converted now, then we can't understand the whole rest of the Megala. And if she converted earlier, then we can't understand this scene. What's going on? You hear the question? Okay. So my Rebbe, Rabbi Malevsky Zatzal, used to explain as follows. He says that for sure, Rus and Orpah converted before they married their husbands. Their husbands were the, the sons of, of, of Elimelech and Naomi. They definitely did not marry non-Jewish women. They converted. They had Jewish weddings. They married Jewish women. The problem is now Naomi's going back, penniless, back to Israel. She doesn't know if these two girls were sincere. Maybe they married these Jewish guys because, you know, Jewish men, they're very handsome and they were, and they were wealthy and they had a, a shame tov, they had great names. Maybe they weren't sincere. So what Naomi is doing is she's testing their sincerity to see back when they converted, were they sincere or not? So she tests them and she sees, ah, oh, Orpah, she wasn't sincere. She never really converted. Rus is saying, what are you, what are you doing? Where you go, I'll go. Where your God is my God. Where you'll be buried, I'll be buried. I was sincere. I'm a Jew, just like you. I'm going with you. So she sees, the Hebrew word is lima freya. She sees retroactively that Orpah wasn't really sincere. Rus was. So that's what's going on in this, in this beautiful scene. And that helps us understand the story of Rus and her story. What's one aspect of her story in the Megillah? And the point is that your intentions matter. We may not know. If you just looked at them at the wedding, Rus looks like a nice Jewish girl and Orpah looks like a nice Jewish girl, brand new Jewish girls. They both look sincere. They both look, you know, very nice. They're having a great time at their wedding. We see later one was absolutely sincere. One wasn't. Wow. Amazing. Okay, Harry. Are there any other examples of this concept in the Torah? So, so there's another beautiful one. Um, what happens is a very difficult scene, difficult to understand. Um, Dina, the daughter of Yaakov, daughter of Jacob, is kidnapped. She's abducted and violated by Shem and her two brothers, Shimon and Levi. They go into the city and they deceive the people in the city. They say, oh, you want to marry our sister? Sure, you just have to have a bris mila. All of you get circumcised. And on the third day, after they convince them they get circumcised, they go in and they wipe out the entire city. So Shimon and Levi, brothers in arms, they went into the city. Why'd they go in? Presumably they went in for the same reasons. Years later, what happens? Shimon and Levi have descendants. Shimon's descendant is a fellow named Zimri who was an ab- absolutely a tzaddik. He was the leader of the, of the Shevet Shimon, but he made a mistake. And his mistake was that he had a, a relationship, a, a dalliance in public with a, with a non-Jewish woman. And his tribe surrounded his tent to protect him. And Pinchas from Shevet Levi went in, pretended that he was going in for different reasons into the tent, and he, and he hid his weapon. He went in with his weapon and he killed Zimri and he killed Cosby, the... the uh, the princess with whom he was consorting. So you see, again, retroactively, you know what was going on? We didn't see this until now. We wouldn't have known this. Shimon went in to, to go after the people that kidnapped his sister 
because you don't touch my sister. Family comes first. Levi went in because you don't touch Abbas Yisrael. You disgraced the Jewish people when you did that. So Levi had in mind the Jewish people. Shimon had in mind my family. And so you don't see that. It looks the same what they're doing. They did the same action. We don't know what's going on in their head. But years later, we see from their descendants that what was going on in their heads was something very different. And it could be, could well be, that that's why Levi is Levi. Levi becomes the Levium. Levi becomes the, the, the priests and, and a portion of Levi are the Kohanim. Shimon, this isn't as well known, become the teachers. The people from Shimon, like Levi, are spread out and they become the teachers. Why? Maybe we can suggest because if you want to be a good teacher, you have to feel like your students are your family and family first. So that is chazak. That's important. But you have to be careful. It's not family first when you're with uh, you know, a Moabite princess and uh, you know, sinning, then it's not. Hashem has to, you know, has, to take, has to take priority. So that's another example. Amazing, amazing. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we experienced freedom on Pesach, on Passover. Can you please explain the powerful connection of the journey from Passover to Shavuot? So I can, but it's a painful one to describe. And I'll tell you a story. And this, this bothers me every time I think about it. Many years ago, I was in court. I'm a, as you know, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. I, I help people out after they get injured in, in, uh, in serious accidents. And we had a case that didn't settle going to trial. So it was in, in April or so. And the judge says, okay, let's pick a trial date. And he suggests a date. And I take out my old Blackberry, my old phone, and I look on my calendar. And I say, oh, your honor, I, I can't do that date. It's a Jewish holiday. And he smiles. He says, Mr. Rothenberg, he says, listen, um, I'm not Jewish, but I've been on the bench in New York City for 30 years. And I know there's Passover in the spring and there are the high holidays in the fall. There's no Jewish holiday in between. Said, Your Honor, what are you talking about? Of course there is. He says, what are you talking about? There's no Jewish holiday in between. I said, it's Shavuos. He said, what's that? I never heard of it before. So I explained to him, you know, the story of Passover, the, the Jews, the Israelites, the Exodus, the 10 plagues. We all know that story. He says, sure. I said, well, 50 days later, remember, that's a movie also. Charles Heston, Moses, he's up on the mountain and he, and he has the, 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 the commandments, the, the tablets, and he smashes them. He says, yeah. I said, well, we have a holiday. We celebrate 50 days later when we got the Torah. He said, I, I, I apologize. I had no idea. And so, of course, he gave us a new date. So I left there thinking, like, how is it possible? Like he, was, he was so 100% sure. So how is it possible? Because he has many, many, many Jewish lawyers, observant, not observant, Jewish, Jewish, who say, Your Honor, I can't do that. It's Passover. Your Honor, I, I can't make that date. It's Rosh Hashanah. Your Honor, I can't make that date. It's Yom Kippur. He never had somebody say to him, I can't make that date. It's Shavuos. And that's what's so, so difficult because we have such an incredibly high percentage of Jews, observant, not observant. You can ask, you can ask almost, not every, but an incredibly high percentage of Jews. What are you doing for Passover? Oh, we're getting together with our family. We're going to have a Seder. Observant, not observant. Shavuos, you can walk around Arab Shavuos and go stop 10 Jews on the street. You know, you know what tonight is? No, I, I, I don't know. Uh, this year, uh, uh, Sunday? I, I have no idea. Is there a new TV show premiering? Like, well, well what's going on? Is, is it a ball game? No, it's Shavuos. What's that? And that is, um, it's a shame. And I think that a lot of the reason is that on Pesach, it's like you open a, an envelope and you pull out, it's a check, like an unexpected check. Like, I don't know, a tax refund you weren't expecting or something you weren't saying, wow, it's a check in the mail. And Shavuos says you open up an envelope and it's a bill. It's like, oh, right? So Pesach, of course we're all excited about Pesach. We're free. And then Shavuos comes. Oh, by the way, uh, 613 mitzvahs, 
Oh, 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 I thought we were free. And that's a big problem. And I, and I wonder, and I'm not pointing the finger at others. I wonder whether that's not our fault, those of us who are celebrating. Like if we're not as excited about Shavuos that we are about Pesach, that can filter down. And, and we, have to be, we have to be ambassadors to go out and make sure people, hey, you want to come for Shavuos? What's that? Oh, let me tell you, it's an incredible night. Maybe invite people over to, to study, et cetera. And we ourselves have to be careful because if we over-celebrate Pesach, and we under-celebrate Shavuos, what are we saying to Hashem? Freedom, that gets me excited. The mitzvahs, eh, yeah, not, not quite as much. So that's what we have to be, be very, very careful about. hundred percent amazing. Day in and day out, you mentioned mitzvot. We do many mitzvot. We do many commandments. What is something we should be aware of after we do a mitzvah, after we do a commandment? What do you suggest? So um, what I suggest is, and, and, and sometimes we lose sight of this, is that the, the moments... Before a mitzvah, we know we're difficult because maybe I'm not going to do it. Maybe there's something I don't want to do and I, and I do it. Or maybe there's something I, I really wanted to do and I didn't, which is also a mitzvah, to refrain from something, right? Like you, you were tempted to steal or do something else and you did. Oh, wow. Okay, great. So I'm done. I did it. I did the mitzvah. The biggest danger after doing a mitzvah is regretting it. Because if you regret it, you lose it. It's a very big problem. As a matter of fact, we say in the, in the evening prayers, in the in in the uh, in in Marav in in, in uh, Arvid, as some call it, in in the paragraph of Hashkivenu, we say we ask God the Hasser Satan milafanenu meacharenu. We ask God, please remove Satan from before us and from after us. So before us, we understand there he is. He's tempting us. We're asking God, like, get him out of my way. What do you mean after us? I already passed them. What do you mean after us? After us is that you wrote the check, you gave the charity, right? And it was not so easy. And then you say to yourself, ah, oh, I, I think I gave too much. Why did I get, why did I get pressured into that? You did the mitzvah. You gave the person the ride. You did the favor. You're like, ah, oh, you know what? I wasted time. I lost time. They didn't even thank me. You regret it. You lose it. So it's a very, very dangerous time period. That's why, very interestingly, there's a, there's a wild medrash that, that Rashi um, quotes. Um, Rashi, the, the, my, my personal favorite writer, commentator on the Torah, writing in the 10 hundreds in Trois France. He says that, that the reason that Sarah, Abraham, Abraham's wife, died is that immediately after the Akedah, immediately after um, Abraham was ready to sacrifice their son, Yitzhak, who wasn't born until they were very, very, very old. Sarah was 90. Abraham was 100 when he was born. So it's 37 years later. And the Sultan comes running back and tells Sarah that Abraham killed your son. And she just, she just faints and dies. So, what, you know, you lost. You know, the son was trying to stop him from doing it. He did it. Like, what, the son's a sore loser? What's going on? And the answer, the, the rabbis explain, is that the son wanted Avram to figure out, oh, Sarah got the news and she died. And he's going to regret that he was willing to sacrifice his son. So that's what he's trying to do. He already did it. This was like the biggest thing ever. He showed, I'm willing to sacrifice my son. And the son is still hard at work. Maybe I can get him to regret it. It'll wipe out the whole mitzvah if I can get him to. That's why it was so important for Avram to get up and to eulogize her properly, and then to cry over his loss, but not to question God over what had happened, not to regret what he had done. Powerful. Wow. Unbelievable. Does this same principle of regretting a mitzvah, then you lose the mitzvah applied to after doing a sin, after doing an avera? So um, it has to, because it's got to it's gotta work. In, there was always, you know, we, we, Newton, Sir Isaac Newton gets the credit. He discovered equal and opposite reactions. Okay, very nice. Maybe he popularized it. He didn't discover it. We've known about that for a very long time. At the same time that Pharaoh, Paro, the Torah tells us, that God hardened his heart, 
like made it that he just, he could no longer do the right thing. That was it. It's like, you know what? I gave you too many chances. You're done. That's it. You're just a pawn now in my, in my game. You know, let my people go. No, like he can't say yes. He can't. At the same time, the rabbis tell us, Moshe, Moses, lost his Yetzirah. He couldn't do the wrong thing. Because if you have one person in the world who literally no longer has an inclination for good, his Yetzirah, you have to also have a person equal who no longer has an inclination for bad. Now, obviously, it didn't just happen. It wasn't like Hashem said, let me choose. How about you, Moshe? You look like a nice guy. Moshe had worked and worked and worked on it to get rid of his evil inclination. And Paro had worked and worked and worked on listening to his. So he lost his good. Moshe lost his bad. And so it's so it's equal and opposite. So the same way that if you regret a mitzvah, you can lose it. Thank God. An incredible chesed from God. It's 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 the it, it may well be the biggest gift that he can give us. And he gives us countless gifts. The fact that we could do a sin and then if we honestly regret it, it gets wiped out and in certain instances even turned into a mitzvah. It's an un, it's an unbelievable thing. That, he, that, that God allows that. So it's uh, so yes, the, the opposite does work as well. And so that, and that's good. So the same way we have to be careful about regretting our, uh, our mitzvahs that we do, we have to be just as careful to regret the, the sins that unfortunately we did in moments of, of uh, temptation or, or weakness or carelessness. Amazing, Harry. Wow, so inspiring. Unbelievable. Um, so, so oftentimes, uh, people feel that uh, they might want to do a mitzvah to just check off a box. Okay, yeah, I, I, I prayed in the morning. Okay, I, I made a blessing uh, when I ate my food. Like, check, check. Uh, what's one step we can take to elevate our mitzvah performance to the next level by viewing it as a golden opportunity? Every single mitzvah is an opportunity. So I, I think what we have to remind ourselves is that there's a, a, a very um, simultaneously scary uh, but uplifting passage in the Torah, which is that we're, we're told at one point that God is predicting what's going to happen, that we're going to, 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 to stray, we're going to be punished. And he says the reason we're going to be punished, punished is that kasher lo avadati besimcha uvetuv leva. He says, I'm punishing you because you didn't worship me with happiness and with a glad heart. So read, read into what, what, what he's saying. He's not saying I'm punishing you because you didn't serve me. He's saying you did serve me. You know what? But you didn't serve me with a smile. And that's, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait one second. God, like you said, I checked off all the boxes. You told me, uh, tzitzes, here, here they are. Come, you can, you can, you can feel them on me. Here, here are the tzitzes. I'll show you the fringes. I got the beanie on. I, I wrapped the, 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 the tefillin and I only ate kosher and I, and I prayed. And when I prayed, I even did this. I did the whole chuckling thing and I, and I didn't say any curse words. I didn't say anything bad about my, like I did all, I checked all the boxes. And God says, yeah, but you did it with a, like you were, you were Fabissina. You were, you were, it was we, my grandmother. Uh, you know, she rest in peace. Used to, I love Shalom used to say, like, you, 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 you know, about people who weren't, who weren't nice or weren't friendly. Like you, 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 you were going through the motions. You were just checking off. Oh, okay. What do I have to do next? God. All right. Okay. What's next? Okay. Okay. Fine. And it's got to, instead, it's the exact opposite. You've got, it's got to be, we have to be running to, to, uh, to do what he, uh, to do what he wants, running to do what he wants. And, and the, so I, there's a great example of this. It's happened to me years ago and I'll never forget this. I went to, a, um, I like watching professional sports and it's a nice opportunity sometimes for father son bonding. So I went with one of my sons, this is many years ago. 
to, I'm from Philadelphia. So I went to watch the Eagles game and the Eagles are about to lose. They're down and that's it. The other team's going to kick a field goal. It's less than a minute left. And once they kick the field goal, the game is over. People are already filling out of the filing out of the stands. And it just happens. Like I've, I've never saw this happen before at the end of a game. One of the Eagles manages to get a few fingers on the ball as he's kicking the field goal, blocks it. The ball hits the ground. Another one picks it up, runs the length of the field, scores a touchdown, and the Eagles win. And the place goes absolutely bananas, okay? Forget that I'm hugging my son. We're hugging strangers. We're crying. We're slapping. Unbelievable, okay? So we come home, and my son, at the time, is maybe, I don't know, 12, 13 or so, somewhere in that that range, plus or minus around our mitzvah. He's telling my wife, you know, she's pretending to be interested in this just because it was exciting. Think, well, I've never seen it was the most unbelievable. You can't imagine they're about to lose. They blocked the thing. Whoa, it was crazy. We were going nuts. Like, oh, I'm so glad you had a good time. Fine. He goes to sleep. So later that night, my wife says to me, um, oh, so, you know, it was, uh, it was an exciting game. I said, yeah. He said, you were, you were going, uh, you know, crazy. With I said, I don't know if I'm going crazy. I was, you know, I was uh, you know, mildly amused because I know I can see already like something's coming. I can, I can already smell I'm in trouble. I don't know why I'm in trouble. I mean, they, they won. I cheered. What did I do wrong? I went to the game. My team won. It was exciting. They got I'm just going to point out to you, you know, I was thinking about this, that um, this was in the fall during football season, that next week um, is Sukkot. And at the end of Sukkot is Simchas Torah. And I know that you're not usually one of the big dancers. You know, it's like not your thing. But I was just thinking, like, you know, our son's going to be there watching you. And, like, you know, I don't know. Like, he might see that when they won the football game, you were jumping up and down and dancing. And then when they're dancing with the Torah, you're not. It's just something to think about. Right? So think about that for a second. Okay? Something to think about. Here's my son. Okay? What, what do I want for him? My, my goal is that he's going to be an Eagles fan. Okay? It's very cute. It's very nice. It's father-son bonding. We root for the same for the same laundry, okay? Uh, you know, midnight green and gray and black and white and, and et cetera, okay? Or do I want him to be excited about the mitzvahs and do them with a smile and do them with enthusiasm? So what am I modeling for him? The Torah is out and I'm sitting on the side, okay, oh, when it's my, let me know when it's my turn. In the meantime, I'll be over at the, at the uh, you know, where they have the snack table. Oh, but when the Eagles win, yes, yes, that I'm going to cheer over. And, and that's, it's all recorded. It's all recorded. And it's not only recorded up in Shemayim, but particularly for those of us who, who were gifted and were, and were parents, um, they, they see everything. Nothing, nothing, nothing passes their, their view. And they know. And they, and they know us all too well. And so we have to model that. We have to be enthusiastic. You can't ever, God forbid, that we ever, that we ever have that, 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 that look of like, that, that oh, it's, it's difficult. You know, like they say back in the day when, you know, in, in America, oh, it's difficult to be a, to be a Jew. Okay. Difficult to be a Jew. You know, have fun. So I'm going to, I'll find something else to, to do. So that's what I think is important is to be, to be enthusiastic and to, and to show that enthusiasm. It's um, my, my favorite topic talking about yeah. happiness. Very important. Yeah. I'll tell you one that just comes to mind. I'll tell you, I used to learn with a Rav when I was in Israel, when I was, when I was younger, um, he was significantly older than me. He has since um, passed away. And, and he said to me once, he said his kids are like so from and so stark and, and so, so enthusiastic about Tori. He says, he says, I wonder, like, I'm just a regular guy. He says, like, like I wonder myself, like, what did I do to, to deserve this? He said, I was, yeah, I was thinking to myself that there's only one thing I can think of that I can take some credit for is that my kids know I love a good steak. I just, I, it's one of my things. I love a good steak. But they also know that I love a good Zvartoro. When I hear good good Torah, like I I jump out of my chair, I, I stop people, like oh, you gotta hear this Torah. He said, I think like maybe that rubbed off on them, like they see how enthusiastic I am. 
Like that's what has to be, we have to show them. Like that's what's important to us. Wow. Amazing. Harry Rottenberg, you're giving me so much chizuk, so much inspiration for all of us listening. We're enjoying <laughs> and uh, very, very great lessons. And you know, Harry, we live in a world that values the results. You know, for example, how many home runs did the guy hit or how many sales did you make? But we know in Judaism, we know that uh, results are in God's hands and it's up to us how much ever we put into it. Uh, how do we change our mindset out of a results-based mindset and, 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 and uh, remember that it's the effort that counts? Okay. So um, I, I think that, that one way is as follows. We have to orient ourselves and realize um, who we are and, and what it is that we're doing here. So to answer that, I, I, I have an analogy that I like to use as follows. Imagine that it's, that it's uh, Mother's Day, okay? And a little kid, I don't know, six-year-old kid sets an alarm, you know, quietly and wakes up early and tiptoes down to the kitchen and makes, I don't know, what, pancakes or an omelet, okay? And like puts it on a platter and brings it up to his mother, okay? In the meantime, the kitchen is a disaster area. The pancakes are, they're, they're barely edible, okay? Like whatever, I mean, he's six years old, he's not a cook. Imagine when he walks into that room, okay? What's the reaction of that mother going to be? You know, oh, you, you messed up the whole kid. Oh, these pancakes are terrible. Oh, oh my God, these are inedible. What kind of monster, right? These are going to be the best pancakes and the best omelet she ever ate. Her whole, she's gonna be, at the whole time, she's going to be trying not to cry. My six-year-old kid said, wait, wait, you what? You set an alarm and tiptoed downstairs and made pancakes and an omelet for me? For Mother's Day, get over here. Get over here for a giant hug and a giant, a giant kiss for mom, right? And so, like, that's, that's how Hashem views it. Like, if we're trying hard, we're, we're doing our best. And he understands that. He knows how difficult it is. And people get down sometimes because the people who, who are, who I, I'm talking to myself, okay? And I, and I say this every year and it bothers me more and more every year, is that, okay, so I was 13, Yom Kippur, 15, I was 20, I was 25, I was 30, I was 30, like, odd con, okay, I'm in my 50s now, and like, I'm still like, what, I, come on, like, I promised last year, you know, come on, but Hashem understands, he knows it's very difficult, it's very, it's not, it's not easy, of course, we have to put on our, our smile, and it, and it, and, and, and it's a, but the, the old Machash Mayim, it's a, it's a lot that's expected of us, and we have to understand that, that he still loves us, and there's no, we can't break that, whether we've had a great day, of course he loves us. We've never had a great day. I learned that I dove and that I keep stuck. Of course he loves us. But he loves us even when we when we make a mistake. He still loves us. And he's still there waiting for us. Like I, I just just try. Just get just get up and 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 you know and and get back on that horse. Because I still love you. And I know it's I know it's difficult. I know it happened. I, I got it. I understand that. I, I hardwired you. I sent the son there to tempt you. I, I get it. And you'll say, well, so Hashem, if you knew I was going to fail, uh, one second, right? We always know. How do you, people say, like, how do I know I can pass the test? So there's an easy answer to that question. God gave you the test. So if he gave you the test, you can pass it. He doesn't give us tests that we can't pass. And even if we, and if, when we pass them, you're, you're, you're Avram Avinu. He's saying, Avram, Avram, like your, your name in Shemayim is, is, is now, you just matched it, your name, your name down here. And when we don't, okay, so you'll get another chance. Tomorrow's another chance. It's all we want to be. We just want to be better tomorrow than we were than we were today, and better today than we were yesterday. And if we make a mistake, so just we said that before. So you regret it. Hashem and His Chesed is going to wipe it out. We put a smile on our face, and you know what, Hashem, that's it. Bring it on. Bring on the next test. I failed the last one. Bring on. 
We don't look for tests, but if it comes, I'm going to be ready for it the next time. Sheva pamivel come. A righteous person falls down, but what makes him righteous is the fact that he gets back up. Back up, and we all have tests. And uh, we have to get back up if, if, if we fail them. Amazing. Harry, you're giving us so much chizuk, so much inspiration. Chazak, very strong. Um, time is, uh, is up. But before we call it a night, can you please leave us with some closing remarks, final message to our broader audience that uh, we could, uh, we could uh, take with us, uh, you know. So I will, I'll share with you one of my favorite stories that happened in, in, uh, in Tanakh. And it's uh, in keeping with what I was just just talking about, about our, our father in heaven. And it involves, which is, which is appropriate for Shavuos, it involves David Amalek. So what happens is that um, Shaul, Saul is the king. And Hashem appears to Shmuel, to the Navi, to the prophet. And he says, okay, go anoint the new king of Israel. And Shmuel's a little taken aback. Wait, but Shaul's still on the throne. And that could be a little danger. Okay, Hashem says, listen, listen to me. This is how we're going to do it. You're going to go quietly, secretly to the house of Yishai, and you're going to anoint his son as the next king. Okay? Takes the anointing oil, goes off on his secret mission. He arrives at Yishai's house, tells Yishai, uh, Yishai, of course, knows who he is. He explains his, his mission. And Yishai, can you imagine can you imagine a proud father calling his Bahar right, into the into the room, right? I imagine, like, imagine, I can't even imagine my father calling me into the room. My son, come on, you're the Bechor. Shmuel's here. And I come walking in the Bechor. Of course, it's going to be the Bechor. And he's handsome and he's tall and he's a warrior and he's a natural born leader. And Shmuel says, not him. Okay. <laughs> because Hashem whispers in his ear, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by, he, look, he looks like he definitely, if this was Hollywood and you were casting, it would be him. This isn't Hollywood. It's not him. So Shmuel says, it's not him. So Yishai's a little bit taken aback. He says, okay, bring in the next son. So he brings the next son. Hey, equally, just, I mean, the guy is, he is fit for royalty. He's ready to, to, to ascend the throne. And Hashem says, whispers to Shmuel, who tells Yishai, not him. They bring in the next one. And they bring in the next one. And Bechulu, Bechulu, they keep bringing in sons. He's got seven sons. And he brings in the last son. Now, obviously, this is it. You know, Yishai knows why he's here. He's he, Shmuel's here. I got one son left. Like, this is it. And, he, and you can imagine, okay, here he is. Like, who would have thought? Who would have thought that it's the youngest one? And he brings in the youngest one, and Hashem whispers to Shmuel, and Shmuel says, it's not him. What do you mean it's not him? Mm-hmm. What's going on? So so this 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 exchange is in the, it's it's brought down, it's a medrash. It's, it's not in the text in, in Shmuel Aleph, but it's there in the medrash. Shmuel says to Yishai, do you have another son? And Yishai says back to Shmuel, no. And Shmuel, no, no. And Shmuel says back to Yishai, I know I'm in the right place. I got, I got my GPS, okay? Hashem sent me to your house. So I'm going to ask you again, do you have another son? And Yishai starts stammering. He says, ah, there's the, the shepherd too long to explain why Yishai didn't realize that he was, he was the father. There's always a question about this, the shepherd's lineage. Knew who his mother was, didn't know who his father was. So he tells his sons, go get the shepherd. So they go out back to the shepherd, the guy who didn't live in the house. You can imagine what he looked like. He came in, he's, he's, he's herding sheep. I can't, can't imagine what he looked like, what, he's, what he looked like, what he, what he must have, what the odor he must have brought, okay? And, he, and they go and they get David. And David walks into the room and the oil in Shmuel's flask 
starts boiling over. Wow. And Shmuel says, all rise for the next king of Israel. And he pours the anointing oil on him. Now, if I said to you, okay, if you were, you were let's say you were a psychiatrist, okay, I'm described to you, David Melech, living, the, the whole family is in the house, and each one, I mean, the unbelievably talented people, and he's the shepherd out in the back, doesn't even know who his father is, his father doesn't know who he is, okay? Do you have another son? No. I'm asking you again, okay? And that's what he says. He says, we say it in Hollow, he says it in Tehillim. He says, Evan Mosu Habanam Pina. The stone that was that, 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 that people couldn't stand, they, that, they, that they pushed away, they were disgusted by it, became the cornerstone. How is that possible? If you're a psychiatrist and I said, tell me, what do you think about this person? You'd say, I think they're going to be, they're going to need to spend a lot of time on my couch. Mm-hmm. And instead, this is the guy who becomes David Melech Yisrael. How? Because he understood that whatever the situation, no matter what, I have a father I don't, I have a mother I don't, I have siblings I don't, they let me stay in the house they don't. I can go off to and do what they do, or maybe not. But at the end of the day, I've got a vino b'shamayim. I've got my father in heaven, and he loves me more than anybody. And that's what every one of us has to remind ourselves, that Hashem loves us more than anyone. And that's, that's not simple, because a lot of us, thank God, feel tremendous love from our fathers and our mothers and our grandmothers and grandfathers and, and, and wives, husbands, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, however much that is. Hashem loves you more. So put that smile on and think the right thoughts and serve him um, with, with joy. And, um, and Mirza Hashem will we'll soon bring in another, uh, another year, reaccepting the, the Torah. And hopefully we'll all soon be able to, to celebrate that in, uh, in Israel. In amen, amen. Harry Rodmer, what a powerful, inspiring, and uplifting final message. Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you so much for the inspiration, for the chizuk. We got to do this more often, Harry. That was really uh, a grand slam. <laughs> deal. <laughs> deal. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Always great to see you, Rabbi Merov. And, uh, and chazak and hatzlach and, and continuous lach with everything that you do on the Harbat Sestara. I always appreciate the opportunity. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. And we were on to remind all of our audience every Tuesday night, we have a special guest timely Tuesday Torah Talks. And uh, we'll see you next week with another amazing program. Thank you very much. Have a great, amazing night.